What is up, guys? You're tuning into this Okiru podcast. I'm your co-host Jasper, and we thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to follow us on our socials at Okiru on Instagram, Okiru on Facebook, Okiru on YouTube, and also Okiru on major platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy. Okiru. MC Kano is in the house. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. It's a beautiful setup, a beautiful day too. So I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Look, I just want to give a shout out to the Benelong Foundation for hosting us in this space today as well. And look, I've started working in philanthropy for the last, what, month or so. Yeah. And what I've learned is <clears throat> philanthropy comes from a Greek word, Greek words and what it enables the feeling is love of humanity. So it's really mm. beautiful. And philanthropy, even though it's the business of giving money and funding away, it's not just that. It's about what time can you give? What networks can you share mm. with the community yeah. as well? And that's the reason why I've brought you on here, Kana, because you do so much for the community in mm. your advocacy work, the work you do for the VEC as well, for the uh, Electoral Commission. Um, we just want to de- dive deeply into that and yeah. see what you're all about because you're a really impressive young man. Oh, thank you. Um, I'd like to how you start that off. I think um, that you going off, you know, philanthropists, you know, normally it's about giving money or giving that time, but I think that wouldn't be possible without the people on the ground, um, people with their hands dirty, doing all the, doing, doing all the things of the weekends, doing all the things on the weekdays outside of their normal um, day-to-day. <laughs> so, Kana, how'd you get started in the, all the community work? Because what you let me know, look, you're 22 years old, yep. you dropped out of uni, Indian parents, mm-hmm. I guess they wanted you to become a doctor or 100%, something like that. doctor, engineer, <laughs> do all those things. Um, and I guess the other, other factor that comes in is that I'm a migrant myself, so I wasn't born here. I, was moved, I moved with my family back in um, 07. And so there's a bit of pressure of like, crap, my parents... They were 35 when they moved, so they sacrificed a lot to be, you know, they've given up their childhood, their family, their friends uh, to start in a new country without knowing the language, the culture, you know, just having that hope of like, crap, you know, overseas is the dream, you know, it's, that's what's going to make my life better. So there's that added expectation when I, when I was like a studying or in school, I was like, crap, I need to have a career that my parents are going to be happy with, you know, because I don't want to let them down and make it feel like the, the sacrifices they had that I lived up to or it, um, it made my life better. So I graduated in 2017, um, went into Commerce University of Melbourne, you know, fresh out of school. I was like, yes, I wanted to study business, be an entrepreneur. That was a buzzword at that time. So I was like, all right, went into Commerce, did not like it one bit, absolutely hated it. I was like, yeah, I, I can't be in this. Um, so I took a few gappy, I mean, took a few gap semesters and eventually I just could not do it. I'm like, this is not good for my mental health. And I just dropped out without telling my parents. Oh. I was like, if I talk to them, (laughs) if I talk to them, they're going to be like, nah, you got a couple of years left. Just finish, get a degree, right? Get a bachelor's. I'm like, nah, I can't. Um, So I dropped out without telling them. Big move, big, big move. But, and then I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I'm like, I got a bunch of free time, youngin. So I just applied. I typed into Google, literally Melbourne youth volunteer opportunities. And that's where... I saw a Center for Multicultural Youth pop up where me, uh, Liam and I met. And then from there, started doing a few programs, volunteering, um, learning a bit more about the community, learning a bit more about my culture. Yeah. 
because it's a topic that I've didn't explore when I was in school. Started learning about all these facets of things, and then eventually I'm like, yo, this is this is dope work. This is you know I see myself belonging in this. Um, I see myself making it a career, and one thing led to another, and then started doing a bunch of work. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, just bumped into it, I guess. <laughs> but a bold move to drop out of uni, not tell your parents. And what were you doing in this time? Were you going out and pretending, hey, I'm going to school? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, I eventually, I'm like, right, I feel guilty. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. I need to come clean. So I told him. Um, so here's the thing. I told him that I dropped out. But I, inter- I mean, I don't know. I told him I took a gap semester, but mm. I actually did drop out. Mm. So I'm like, first, I'm like, all right, give me six months to work on something. Let me work on a business. Yeah. So I started a business called Kano Media. And so that's why I learned a bit of the social media skills, the editing skills. Because mm. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll do some social media stuff here and there. Um, and I got a few clients as well mm. um, doing, but I'm like, again, this is not me. Like, I don't want to be creating content for like businesses to get, you know, that wasn't, that didn't get me excited. Um, and so I really tried that. And the only reason I went to that was to show my parents I could do something. Yeah. You know, I don't need the degree for me to be valuable uh-huh. or well, I don't need the degree to make me feel worth it to my parents. Um, but that business, <laughs> that business did not go well. Um, but then after all, I just told him I'm dropping out. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and I, it was a very, very hard coming clean, but I knew my, par- I know my parents very well and I know they'll eventually come around to it. Yeah. And I was thinking very long term. I'm like, if I don't drop out now in five years, 10 years, I'm going to regret this and be like, damn, I shouldn't have listened to my parents. I'm gonna. I don't want. To, I don't want to blame them for my, for what I chose. So I'm like, all right, I drop out, have a rough relationship for maybe a six or one year. But once I start doing my thing, and you know, I was a bit cocky. I'm like, I know I could do it. Yeah. I had that energy in me. I'm like, once I start doing my thing, they'll appreciate what I'm doing. So, look, that's the thing with the system, right? It trains you up so that they could place you, I guess, at university mostly. Because you look at VCAL and uh, VET subjects, it's not really status yeah. isn't there. So it, it's hard for young people to really drop out and go pick up a trade unless you really want to do it. But you went to uni, you figured out, look, this is not for me, commerce, even though you're at Melbourne University, which is an incredible institution, right? But you dropped out and you found what was really for you. What, what is that? Yeah, well, I I, fig- I haven't figured it out, but I like to go by the term of a youth and multicultural mm-hmm. advocate, multicultural person myself. Look at me, I'm you know coloured, obviously, got a bit of an accent, uh, moved moved from a different country. Then also young and at the moment, uh, low working with youth. I feel like there's so much potential uh, with young people, and I feel like the system that we have, as you said, it's not created for young people to succeed, or it's not created for young people's voices to be heard. And I'm like, as a young person working in that community advocacy space, I'm like. Hmm, why, why, where is our voice? Yeah. You know, we, we're the, the future generation. We're going to be the doctors, the engineers, the mm. prime ministers. Mm. We're going to be these people yeah. in powerful positions eventually. And why not, why not, why don't we start from now? Why don't we get that experience from now? Why do we have to wait till we're 30 or 35 or 40 to start mm. going to those fields? Yeah, we live in this permissionless age, right? Yeah. Where we don't have to ask for permission to start a podcast, mm. become a public speaker, to start your own business because any, anybody can do it like at the drop of a hat. And that's the amazing time that we have that we live through right yeah. now. Mm. So Kano also is a shout out speaker for yeah. CMY in the sense of multicultural youth as well. And he goes out to schools to 
speak to yeah. to young people mm. about real issues and what do you tell the young people about your journey in terms of dropping out of uni but yeah what's the message that you share because it's mm. a very you're really malleable at what 16 or yeah it's yeah I've, I've had the pleasure of working with lots of young people all across the country been flown out a few places which is quite exciting and um, worked in some Worked in some schools down in the north, northern part of Queensland, which is not very multicultural. Um, I remember, uh, I'm told what I talk about, but I remember this one instance where early this year I went to speak in North Queensland and the audience was about 100, uh, 100 year nine kids and maybe two people were visibly diverse like in terms of mm. colour. Everyone else was pretty much white. Um, the teachers were white, the schools were white, private. So I'm like, crap, what am I, you know, what am I, how am I going to talk about my diversity yeah. inclusion? Maybe these kids or these young people, they're not going to relate to it. How do I give my message to this community where diversity isn't a talked about topic? Mm. It's still taboo. It's still looked down upon. Um, and so when I when I get a gig, I'm like, all right, what is the audience like? Um, is it multicultural? Is it young people? Is it white? Is it colored? What's what's that situation like? Yeah. And then, all right, if they're colored, oh, if they're, sorry, not colored, but if they're like, you know, multicultural people mm. like myself, they're, they're visibly different. Um, I'm like, I can share my story. They'll understand in some capacity, even if they were born here. I know the experiences that I had of who my identity, like I, when I talk about my stories, I talk about, you know, I, I, when I moved here, I'm like, I want to be Aussie. I want to be like this because I want to fit in. I just don't want to be picked on, right? I was visibly different. People wanted to, um, don't, didn't want to play with me as a kid, didn't want to talk to me because in primary school, when you're different, no one wants to talk to you, right? Mm. Even though you don't think about it, but when you're in primary um, I'm sure those kids went racist, but they're like, nah, he's different. He can't speak proper. He can't, he doesn't understand what Lion King is. I don't want to talk to him. Um, and so I talk about a bit of that figuring out then eventually when you're in that system, you're like, all right, I'm just going to be white. I'm going to love football. I'm going to do these things that everyone else loves. So I have something to talk about or I have something to, to relate to other people with. And then when you get a bit older, you're like, all right, that's maybe that's not me. Like, Maybe I, I love cricket. I love yeah, football. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's not me. And so I talk about figuring out who you truly are and figuring mm. out these two different identities of your cultural identity plus your your other identity and how do you find how do you find the one? Yeah. And also, when if I'm talking to a crowd that's pretty very white, I talk about look. I have you have things that you're insecure about, whether that's your body image, um, the way you look, the way you talk, your sexuality. We all have things that make us different to other people, right? Um. And so how do, we, how do you become comfortable with finding out what that is? And, and in school, it's very, very hard because yeah. it's a very pressured situation socially mm. to fit in, mm. to be the cool kid, to be that one that gets the most likes, that gets the most yeah. TikTok views. But and if you're different, you don't get that. Mm. And so how do you still be different, accept it, and use that as a strength? So that's one of some of the topics that I um, talk about in 40 minutes. <laughs> it's, a, wow. it's a bit full on. And what do the young people... I'm, I'm assuming they go up to you and say, oh, man, great speech, great, yeah. great talk. What what feedback do you get from the young people these days? Yeah, um, if I get questions, it's very much about um, very much about how did you find the strength to be comfortable in mm. your own skin? How did you figure out who you are? How did you um, – so I talk about this story um, in school where this one kid kept on picking on me, right? Racist, mean things all the time. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys can relate, you know, picking on you and then – I just put up with it because I'm yeah. like, who's going to listen to me? Eventually, I get the strength. I get the courage. Go up to my teacher. Um, hey, there's this kid who's been calling me all these mean, racist things. Yeah. Um, can you do something about it? 
And so, and I share the story of that, like the teacher says that things aren't racist and that I should learn to, um, learn to ignore them. And like, imagine being in year nine and 10, you know, you build up that courage to finally speak up, you know, when you're, you know, getting bullied, they tell you, go speak up about it. And when you do, when you get that setback or it pushes you even deeper down. And I talk about this story of how I overcame that and still, you know, still got confident and went up to another teacher and, you know, still didn't. Obviously, I listened to the system, listened to the teacher, but I'm like, nah, I know. Not accepting it. I know deep down it was not correct, you know? Yeah. And that's why I feel like we need more multicultural training, uh, more more um, more diverse teachers at school who understand these issues more deeply. And so the other side of the question that I get is more, how did you find that strength? How, how can I be that? Mm-hmm. And the other side, which I find really interesting, is kids or young people come up to me like, oh, thank you so much for speaking. Um, I really appreciate it. And they go. And I think normally those students are all colored or they're multicultural. Mm-hmm. And I figured out, because I know when I was in school, if someone came up to me and I, I think what they feel is they feel seen. Right. Mm-hmm. They, fee- they yeah. feel like, wow, that's me. Yeah. You know? So they don't have a lot of words to describe their feeling because maybe they're hearing it for the first time. But they come up to me and they say, thank you so much. I, pre- I appreciate it. I, you know, I feel exactly the way that you feel. Yeah. And so that for me is very, very valuable in that they don't have the dialogue at the moment because yeah. they're going through their own things, but they feel seen, they feel, mm. damn, you know? Feel validated and yep, that's the word. they see you as a brown man mm. up on stage sharing yeah. his journey, right? And, and this is how the concept of representation and how powerful and how valuable it is for young people as well. And I always come back to this. It's you can't be who you can't see, mm. right? And, and this day and age, we've just recently, very recently, there's been an elected parliamentarian who is a refugee from a Vietnamese background. Yeah. And it shows me that my people, the Vietnamese people, have a seat at the table now. Our voices mm-hmm. can be heard at the highest realms of power in this country. And and for me, it gives me hope. It gives mm-hmm. me so much hope that mm-hmm. we've got more diverse voices speaking about real issues and, and about our issues, more mm-hmm. importantly. I might ask a question to you. How did go for it? How did your parents feel about that? Have you had that conversation with them? No, I haven't. I haven't. But they know who Dai Lee is, mm. and I can see the sentiment, um, especially on LinkedIn, right? And LinkedIn and, and social media can be a bit of an echo chamber if mm. you're in a certain bubble. Mm. But it's just such excitement because the last, the last uh, what federal government were completely white no women mm. um it was i gotta, I gotta tread carefully i have to be impartial <laughs> <laughs> i have to be impartial in the way i talk but yep but it was it was yeah hard to see because they're making decisions for the whole population yeah. but aren't representative aren't representative of the population itself mm. so how about the vec what's the work that you do there in in i guess getting communities to to vote and to get their say in democracy. Mm. Um, so I work at the Victorian Multicultural in a, in a part-time capacity. Um, I work with them on, a, on creating resources for multicultural communities. And it's very interesting how I got into it because I like to be free. I like to do my own thing. But I figured out doing a lot of work on the ground in the community, being hands-on, work, mentoring young people, working with multicultural communities, working with schools, and working with uh, organizations that 
that's very important. But for that real change to come in, there needs to be structural change. It needs to be people working on every, on that, in that entire letter, in that entire level of, all right, there's that strategic things happening and priorities shifting things happening, but there also needs to be people on the ground for that immediate change. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, all right, I, I took up this job to, to work on that more structural side of things. Cause I've worked in the community, got some experience, got some real experience, personal experience, plus also working with these people. All right, I know the knowledge, I've acquired some skills. Let me use that for good, for that greater good. And so I got into the VEC to create some resources for multicultural communities. And uh, for the upcoming election, I'm creating in-language videos for 25 different languages. Um, and so finding speakers from those languages, figure out little niches, because I, you know, I, I'm from an Indian background. I know South Asia quite well, but there's so many other cultures that exist, right? Yeah. That, um, that I don't know too much about. So I'm, I'm learning at the same time from 25 different language, um, cultures that some, sometimes from certain regions, you can only get a certain dialect or even from the same country, you have to get two dialects because they're fighting against each other. Mm. Or if you get one speaker from a certain culture and you don't get the other side, um, you're going to be, you know, you're going to face a, a few issues. So I've been figuring that out. I mean, I guess my, what well, my work at the democracy with democracy is I feel like we, we need, as you said, we need more multicultural people in those fields, making decisions because we know our community best. Mm. Yeah. Lived experience is something that can never be taught. You can never learn about it. Lived experience is learned by living through it. And so you need those people in those, situ- in those positions, in those platforms to have those decisions, yeah. to have voice their opinions. Um, you can do diversity trainings, everything in the world, but if you don't have those people there, you're not going to get it. And so that's been my, my work with the VEC. It's part-time work. I'm like, all right, I see this more than my work. I don't see it as a job. I see it as I'm helping out my community and capacity. I'm helping out 25 different um, cultures to learn about enrollment, to learn about how to vote, um, learn about what happens if they don't vote, to get actively involved because sometimes I'm working with cultures where government isn't the best. It's not their friend. The government's the enemy where a lot of people, where they come from. And so how do you get over that huddle that the Australian democracy is not the best in the world, but it's the best that we have and we have to work with the system. So I'm learning a lot on these little niches that I wouldn't have learned unless I was working in that, um, in that field. Funny thing on voting and elections, though, I've got some friends who were told at 16 in year 10, don't register to vote. Don't do it because you'll have to vote for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> and so every election, they're proud. They're like, I don't have to vote. It's yeah. not good. I'm not going to get fined. I'm not yep. registered on the system. <laughs> <laughs> that is a cheeky. That is our way. <laughs> it's um, a loophole. There's loopholes for everything, right? Yeah. But look, I'm, I'm fascinated about the nuances from the cultures that you work with. Can you tell Mm. me more or tell us more about, I guess, some of the populations that we have here in Victoria? Yeah. So the the biggest thing I find that a lot of people don't understand is the the concept of need versus want. Mm. Um, So there's, you know, we have a big populations of like Greek, Italians, um, you know, that have been existing for many, many years now. They've gone through a few generations. They've been here for a long time. So when you look at the data, oh, wow, we have bajillion, you know, we have so many people from these countries, yeah. but because they've been through those cycles, mm. they've been living here, there isn't that need. Um, there's that want of like, oh, you know, it would be great to have these resources. It would yeah. be great to have more, more of these things happening. But because there's been so much 30, 40 years or 50 years, how many generations, that need isn't there. Mm. And so I think when organizations or people start working with the data, they're like, all right, 
these, these are the top 10 populations. Let's create resources in that. But then you're not looking at it deeply in like, what are these new, newly arrived communities that are coming through? What are these communities that don't have a strong literacy skills, that don't understand numeracy, right? I've been working with people who don't know what one to 10 is. And so they literally, when I teach them the vote, they draw the number one or they draw the number two because they don't, um, unfortunately, uh, because of the way that they've gone up or the situations that have forced them to leave their country, they didn't get that education to understand mathematics or numbers. And so that need for those newly arrived communities is greater. Um, and so that's some of the nuances that I'm learning of. All right, because you got to justify the work that you do and it's hard to justify creating resources or doing going into this community, very niche community to do all this work when there isn't a big population, but then that need is much, much greater. And I feel like it's a fine balance of figuring out what is the need for this community compared to this big community? Yeah. And what, what resources do they, do they need? Wow. Wow. We don't think about that no. ever. All right. People just exist and live and we're too busy in our own little bubbles to worry about what other communities need. Right. But that's mm. the, the case and the business case for your work and, and the work that we do for CMY yeah. as well. So how do you reach those hard to reach or small populations that require yeah. more need than, that's a than others. That's a great question. I feel like it's something that I'm personally not the greatest at, but I feel like when I go when I consult um, organizations or businesses, it's to change their way of thinking. And from saying these communities are harder to reach, we should change it to us as an organization, us as an entity find it difficult to reach those people. So putting, it's a self-deficit look that it's not their harder to reach we find it difficult mm. and how, what can we do as a person? What can I do as a person or as an organization to reach them? Is it, do we need to hire people from those communities? Do we need to do, be on the ground more? Maybe social media or emails is not the best way to reach mm. them. Do we need to go to the communities? A really good example in the COVID, I did some work with the North Melbourne huddle um, on mm. vaccinating people from um, certain communities. And so we give up these big messages, but those communities are not there. Yeah. And so we went out, we went to their community where they lived near the North Melbourne housing towers. Yeah. We set up a pop-up vaccine clinic there and we got people that community members living there to go and call people up to be like, oh, have you gotten your second dose? Have you gotten the vaccine to come down and get your vaccine? Because one, language is a big barrier. Technology is a big barrier. Um, and sometimes they don't want to get in trouble because COVID messaging was crazy. You know, don't leave more than five kilometers and especially... If you're living in the North Melbourne housing towers, don't leave your house at all. Mm. You're in lockdown. Yeah. Um, and so we had some people who got vaccinated in March and didn't get their second dose all up until December. Um, when you're supposed to get in like between six or three weeks. Mm. So they didn't through that. Because the messaging wasn't there or because we didn't have people working with them. They got their second dose all the way in December. And so it's like, I think I learned from that. It's a, we need to go to those communities to be where they are yeah. and do things that will work for them. So we got we got a bit more elders involved. They started calling up people who they mm. knew because we wouldn't have con those contacts. Yeah, yeah. Working in an office, you know, sitting yeah, away but, looking yeah, at databases. Exactly, yeah. We have emails and we don't have those. Yeah. We don't have those contacts. You need boots on the ground, hey. Yeah. You do. Um, and that's that's, that's the biggest big. learning that I've had is in terms of work, re reaching those communities. We need to change our thinking. What can we do as an organization? Not yeah. they're harder to reach. We tried our best. They didn't come to our clinic. Or we sent out a thousand emails, we couldn't get any, any uptake. 
that's not the, that's not on the community that's on us mm. what can maybe you know we need to figure out what is our deficit yeah so what have you learned working with such diverse groups of people where english may not be their first language or they communicate in other ways that we find growing up in australia is is normal the biggest thing i've learned is people are just nice like you know every mm. everyone is just human like we we see these different cultures like oh they do this thing differently or they have these views they have these certain things but everyone at the end of the day is wants to be happy everyone wants to look after their young ones you know their, their kids they want to have a better life they want to provide for their family those basics are all the same mm. i've realized across different generations across different people they might have different political views or they want to do different things but across different faiths it's all the same we want similar things and i think if we start to touch into those things that uh, what is similar food everyone loves food right let's tap into these things that we that you know make us all the same yeah like you know celebrations dancing music food they're universal yeah and that's what i feel like is the best way to connect with these communities even if you can't speak the language you could be sharing a meal and having a great time yeah, with people for sure. you know for sure yeah yeah a skill that i've always wanted to build and, and i do build during my travels is the ability to make people laugh even though mm. they don't speak your language and laughter is a shared language of ours isn't it mm. but i'm also interested in understanding the filipino community how yeah. how how was it growing up um in the filipino community because in high school you we we joke around and we say <laughs> Oh, all fellows know each other. <laughs> and we say, look, fellows love to dance, yeah. they love to sing, and they love to go to church. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think, well, I grew up with Gerald in church, right? So there's a massive, we were pretty much all Filipinos mm. at church. But that was like the, my only connection to Filipinos. Like when I'm at school, I went to Willie High and Gerald wouldn't know the same. It was a, like there was a small handful full of Asians. Mm. Right? Those, I guess, I don't know. Like, what did we do, right? I don't know how to answer that question. Well, that's okay. That's okay. But I guess what you have there, you grow up together in church. Yeah. Right? So it's a weekly engagement where you know that others are going to be there. Yeah. It's it's a safe place for you all. And I understand through, I guess, our friend JP, right? He... You guys used to guard the church? Yeah, that was well. part of it. Like 3 a.m. Oh, wow. Like, it's just the youth, right? That's how you build the relationship. Um, like you feel like you are you have that purpose of like, oh, I'm part of something great protecting the church in a way. Right? What, what, what does that mean? God is in like... You, you so like, um, the, our, well, I, I'm not in the church anymore, but yeah. what they used to have is they have a rostered schedule that someone's going to be guarding the church 24-7. Yeah. Right. From day to night. And it would be like Friday nights. The youth would like get together from like, I think it was like 10 p.m. to like 3 a.m. or something like that. Just like guarding the church. Right. But then it would just be, I remember you you used to guard a lot. I I didn't get to guarding (laughs) till later in my, my, my youth, but. I remember it was just us like either playing games or um, making music or just like spending time just chilling, right? And just like talking. But, you know, it was... It's fascinating. You you were born here, right? I was born here. So how did you find growing up in two different cultures? Because obviously your your household was, you know, Filipino. 
but then you yeah. go to school, you you might have played into school sports. That would have been going think, up in Australia. Man, like I think I had a disconnect with my my family, right? Like I couldn't. It was kind of hard for me to build a connection with them because I have one life mainly at school, getting to know people like Aussies and other cultures, and that was like my identity, right? I a part of me wasn't Filipino, right? I was Australian. And I don't know, I didn't really like embrace Filipino culture as much until later down in my life when I went through a journey of like trying to understand who I was and kind of separating myself from my family to get closer to them. And it was it's crazy because I realize now that I embrace Filipino culture more and like my family more when I'm away from them because I was so close to it mm. and it was kind of like you should only know this one way of thinking and I guess that wasn't I didn't really agree with that so I was like but when I started to live with my, my partner and away from home I kind of understood why they were doing those things, right? Everything they do is out of love, right, essentially. And they're only teaching you what they believe, what they've grown up with, right? And I guess it was just, I needed that separation from them, separation from the culture to fully understand and see it from a different lens. Um, yeah, I guess being too close to it, I didn't see what was, what was there to embrace and love about it until I like took a step away and moved away from it and was like, yeah, this is who I am. Like I am still Filipino, right? I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, that's powerful. And, and what really comes up for me is absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and from what I'm hearing, it was, it was that for you. And yeah. like when you move out of home and, and you're away from the parents, it's, you appreciate them much more and yeah. together you build such a, mature adult right. relationship exactly. together yeah. right because they there is no power dynamic yes. yeah. anymore you're somewhat sitting on a human to human level rather exactly. than a power figure to the kid yeah exactly that's correct and i was telling my mate this i was like you know before leaving my house like i had a really tough relationship like i was at a point where i was like i want to leave house i don't care if i don't have anywhere to go i'd like figure out a way to live because my relationship with them was just so bad but then um when that happened when i did move out and we like you said it was a there wasn't that power um in the environment anymore i could see them at their level as just human beings mm. um and yeah i just found a deeper respect for them as well and a deeper love and just like we can have real talks now as opposed mm. when i was there like i barely talked to my parents yeah and then when i'm away now i'm like realizing man i want to see my parents yeah it's funny it's i don't know it's, it's weird <laughs> strange i would love to sorry love to hear your perspective as well growing up similar you know different cultures I've always considered myself as an Asian person, right? Vietnamese through and through. Yep. But like yourself, there was a period of time where I was like, no, I want to be more white or more Australian. Mm. And 
to move away from this and, and be like others, right? It was, and I think it's a very common experience for, for young multicultural people to give up how you were growing up and, mm. and be more like what you saw on TV, for instance, go play sports on a Saturday morning rather than going to Vietnamese school or sleeping over at your friend's house. I wasn't allowed to do that. And there's this book by Alice Pong. Um, she, do you know her? She's she's from the west side of Melbourne as well. Um, I'll have to get the, the book details. But what it shares is the concept that Asian Australians or, or Asian people fear or live in scarcity a lot more than your typical Aussie uh, families who are like to their kids, you're a legend, go out there, go do everything, fall over, break a leg, it's all right, you live and you'll learn. Yep. Right. And for me, it's like, oh, don't go outside. Someone's going to kidnap you mm. or don't go with strangers or, or don't climb that tree. You're going to fall down. It's living with a lower risk tolerance than than other communities as well. And that's what mm. I've observed. And I find that fascinating. And and as I guess my community, the, the Vietnamese Australian community progresses and establishes themselves much more and passes through more generations, we will be more tolerant to risks that our parents formerly weren't able to handle and deal with because my parents were refugees, their parents were refugees, and so they've also always lived in, I guess, didn't have as much psychological safety as we do now, right? So at the moment, I... I get paid a decent wage. I shouldn't tell my boss that. <laughs> <laughs> Pay more. <laughs> we always need to get paid more, but I get paid a, a good salary and I have a house over my head. I can afford things that bring me joy and I could um, buy experiences and things like that. And, and back in the day, it was all about survival for my parents. And, and you can feel that, right? And so my experiences back then were... I can't take as much risk because my parents didn't and all they were seeking was safety and, mm. and where they were. So that was my personal experiences and, and I'm not sure if you share that as yeah, well. Yeah, it's funny you say that actually like survivability, that was what you were growing up with, right? And I had a funny realization when we were at the groceries. I was like, oh man, I really want to buy this. And I was like, wait, I live on my own now. I don't need my parents' <laughs> permission to buy like can't forget it to try because that's what I wanted to try. I was like very curious. <laughs> and it was just, it was just like crazy. I was like, hold on a second. I don't need permission to buy what I want. I can just buy it, right? But yeah, that's funny that you say that. I, I, I vibe with that. I remember a story. Um, I think when I was like 10 or something, playing football. Um, that before I, before I went to normal school, right? Mainstream school, I went to a language school. So if you're a refugee, you're a migrant and you mm -hmm. come here. Um, I could not speak a word of English. So you get put into a language school where mm. you're with other cultures right. um, and the teacher's white and they're teaching you, <laughs> and they're teaching you English, right? And so it's funny because you can't speak to other kids, right? Because they speak different languages. Yeah. Um, and the teacher can't speak to you because <laughs> I can't speak English. Um, so I think that's where my, also my passion grew for working with multicultural yeah. communities. Yeah. I think looking yeah. back on that. But I remember in that time I was playing football. Um, you know, you like markers up, you kick the ball, mm. you catch it, right? Um, and so someone kicked it. I, I went to mark the ball. 
I hit the ground and we didn't have, it wasn't a good school, right? We had a, like, we didn't have an oval. It was like dirt, right? And so I hit the dirt and, you know, I was young. So my tooth came off um, and it cut in my mouth. And so I had stitches, right? And so I got rushed to the hospital and did all the things. My This is like two, three years while we're fresh. Uh, my parents were hella stressed. One, finances, right? It's expensive. Uh, secondly, don't know how to navigate the system. Like never been to a hospital before. What forms do you have to fill in? Um, you have to take time of work, which is very valuable, um, mm. especially when you newly arrived. You just don't want to do that, right? You want to earn as much money as you can to to afford things. Um, and we didn't have a car then, and so I remember my parents would like travel down to public transport to come to come see me and stuff. But I remember I, I healed up for a while, right? I got well, and then like I was a kid, so I was playing around and I fell over again, and my parents got very very angry at me. Yeah, and. I think it was a bit more like, crap, what if he gets hurt again? Um, and they beat me up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Ethnic parents, they hit their kids. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. So they, they, I think that was out of more out of frustration, like, crap, don't don't get injured again. Don't yeah. do something different out of the norm because we we don't know how to navigate the system. We don't want to get in trouble. We're still trying to figure out our visa situations. We still have one income coming into the house. Uh, we don't have a car. And I think... I think you make a very good point where that risk tolerance is very, very low. Mm. And I find 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 this working with communities, they don't want to pop out. They you know that tall poppy syndrome or yeah. something. They don't want to get in the radar of they just want to live in their community, that little community and survive there. Fly yeah. under the radar. Yeah. And because they don't want to get caught by someone, they don't want to do something that's gonna put them into harm. Mm-hmm. Um and because like now my family similar like my family is well off, we have a family business. Um I work, my sister works, my mom works. Like, you know, we're, in our other case, we made it, right? Mm. Um, we're all surviving financially decent and we're good. But I remember coming, we started from zero. We lived in a yeah. like a two-bedroom house with 13 people, right? Mm. Like, could not speak a, could not speak a word of English. My father, he would work in like cash and, you know, cash and down jobs. We were washing dishes for like $5, $10 an hour. Did not know like that was even legal or illegal. Um, and when you start from that, you... And we, 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 after like living in 13 people, we moved into a one bedroom house, like a renting, obviously. And then we moved to a two bedroom house, renting, and then mm. eventually bought our, bought our place uh, down in Worryby, which is back then was, you know, dirt cheap, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason we bought it. It was dirt mm. cheap. Um, and so that you don't want to risk any, you don't want to harm anything that's going to. I remember because I was similar in my family, like, we don't want to do any risk, mm. right? Let's be, let, let's pay it safe. Let's get our citizenship. Let's get financially well. Let's get a car. Let's do all these things, and then we can start to explore other other places. And it's very tricky because you grow up in that mindset of let's not take a risk. Let's yeah. be safe. Yeah. And then because because you know, like I know what I grew up with, the struggles that my that my family, my parents had. And so now when I'm a bit more older, I'm that similar mindset of like I shouldn't take risk, even though eventually I learned to that, and I'm like, all right, my parents ideally they would not want me to take risks like dropping out of university leaving my work, doing all these risky things. But I don't know, in the future, they're going to they're gonna be happy because the core reason that they moved overseas was to have a better quality of life, more safety, more um, fi- financially well, more, you know, better quality of life, eating yeah. better food, quality air, safety, all those things. And I know they're going to be, over time, they're going to be more, um, they're going to be happy that, I, that I've did it. And, but it's, it's a concept that's very similar in other multicultural yeah, youth sure. where they don't want to take risks because... They grew up with all like, you know, up almost a layer around them. Like, do not take risks because we don't know. We don't, we've never lived here. We don't know what, what's going to happen if we do different things. And I guess 
what I'm hearing between all of our experiences is that our parents, we, we started lower on the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? And we started making our way up and up and up. And it's a slow game, if you want to call it that, over generations. And I guess if you want to have kids, their experiences will be vastly different as well, much more psychological safety to take risks mm. as well. Plus, a lot of our families, we started on zero. Like, we didn't have a house. We, had, we didn't have no generational wealth. <laughs> like, you know, compared to kids that grow up here, they have, you know, they, yeah. they have their house paid off or the grandparents bought it when it was like dirt cheap, they right? They inheritance and, you know? <laughs> and um, stuff like that. Yeah. They have citizenship. They don't yeah. have to. This is, and plus, this is yeah. their home. Like, I sometimes am a migrant myself. I feel like I'm living in a different country, right? right? But them, it's like, this is my home. Like, you know, I got my connections. I'm, I'm stress-free. I'm not going to go anywhere else. I'm not going to get deported. So I think that that also plays a factor where maybe my kids and their kids, they'll call this place home. Whereas I, as a migrant, still, obviously, you know, I'm going to live here, but I do call it home, but I know it's not, deep down, it's not my core home. It's not my really? calling. That belonging is still, I'm still finding in, in, in terms of this land and this, this place that I live in. Wow. Wow, wanna, that's powerful. Now I want to ask you guys because you both grew up here. So yeah. what's what's that? Do you call this place home? What has that discovery been like? Man. Oh, it's an interesting one. I'm happy to chip in if you want to think, think about it. <laughs> no, I, I do call yeah. this place home. But I kind of felt, this is crazy. Like I went to Malaysia this year to meet my missus parents, right? We haven't been dating for like almost a year. But for some reason, it felt like home as well. Mm. It was weird, you know, but I'll be honest, like when I go to the Philippines, I don't get that sense of feeling home. It's funny, like I'm Filipino, but I go to the Philippines, it doesn't feel like home. My missus Malaysian, I go to Malaysia, meet her parents, but it felt like home. I don't know how to explain that. Kia still feels like home. Right, I feel like I have two places now I can call home. I guess how I would I would define it. I guess um, just the people who the environment that I'm around, like it feels like home for me. Right, and they were so welcoming. I I met it was the first time I met them, and I just feel so welcomed. And to me, that felt like home as well. So I guess that's how I'd answer that question. I wonder why you felt such at home in Malaysia. Was it the hospitality that they oh, offered yes. you? Yeah, the hospitality. And like... They treated you as a son, yeah, I'm guessing. they treated me like a son. <laughs> and it was like, wow, this feels incredible, right? Like I already felt a part of the family. Yeah, um, yeah so I just want to like say thank you to them, right? Like, mm. it, was, it was a good feeling to have. Shout out to the U's. Shout out to the U's. <laughs> Big <laughs> Malaysia as well. <laughs> Big Oss Malaysia, man. I was going to say, it's like a, it felt, felt like a cleaner Philippines, to be honest. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. I don't know. That's what it felt like. Maybe it's a connection as well that you have, um, that you feel here at home. Yeah. Your parents, I'm guessing, live here. Mm. Whereas you almost see those as an, another set of parents for you. That, yeah. That connection. I guess, I guess it is. That bit more of a senior connection. Yeah. That's probably right. Some good questions, Kano. 
Okay, what? He's taking over the podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> this is what it is, right? It's a conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not supposed to be one way, and this is mm. this is the best way to do yeah. it. I guess for me, I find home in a lot of places, mm. actually, and I feel really comfortable to adapt to different places, especially in my travels and whatnot. But Footscray, through and through, is always home for me, and. It's because I could go out and buy banh mi and, and speak Vietnamese to the ladies serving me or go out to restaurants and order in my, and call it my native tongue, right? Mm. I spoke Vietnamese before I spoke English. And, and walking through Footscray these days, seeing the different communities that are there, the African communities that have been here in the last decade, the Vietnamese, the Chinese people, Indian communities as well, Italians and Greeks that have been here for for a long, long time, right? So beautiful to observe just this melting pot of so many different races, different colors and smells and so beautiful. But at the same time, when I was in India, I felt just so comfortable as well, right? And And maybe it's my ability to get comfortable or, or to adapt in, adapt in different places because I can just walk and sit somewhere and be like, bye, Jay, <laughs> <laughs> which means brother, one yep. tea, please. <laughs> <laughs> For me, yeah, home, home is a lot of places and I feel like I'm a citizen of the earth, mm. actually, that we are here sharing this experience mm. together and it teaches me to be kind to others, to be more inclusive to mm. to be to be kind essentially that's 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 all it is because we are all suffering in our own ways whether we see it or not right and yeah that's you, that's that's my vibe here? i was here, yeah. yeah and you learned vietnamese was the first language right that you learned yeah there's yeah. something i observed about like i don't know how it is now but one thing i observed with filipinos like when when Filipinos migrate here from Philippines, they kind of lose the language. And I've had many cases where like Ditas would be like, Oh, like, you know how to speak Tagalog? I'm like, Yeah, I was like, born here. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. Like my my kid like has forgotten to speak Tagalog. It's like, what? Like, how's that how's that happen? Mm. Right? They lose the, the essence of their culture. You wanna know my assumption? <laughs> <laughs> my assumption is that the Philippines was colonized by the Americans. Mm. And so you learned English or people had to learn English while the Americans were there. Mm. What, what, do you know what year that was or through what years? No. Okay, we'll have My, to look that up. Yeah, we'll uh, look that up. I'm, I'm, I'm super curious yeah. about all of this stuff and geopolitics. Gerald, and look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Pull it up, Gerald. <laughs> we got it. Um, but I might share something. With, yeah, I, I think it. it's very it. common in Indian families as well oh, where really? they move here. And I've, I've known some parents who teach, talk to their kids in English only mm. so they can speak English. Yeah. Um, I'm like, for me, I'm like, no, teach your mother tongue because they're going to learn yeah. English either way. Yeah. I cannot speak a word. I learned it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 English is one of the easiest languages. But I think your point on colonialism, very true. India was colonized by the British for 200 years. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's only in 1947 that they left, which is right. almost 50, 70 years yeah. ago. It's not, a, not maybe long. Not one, long. One of the, my grandparent, my grandpa was alive when the British were still, you know, yeah. it's not, not yeah, a long generation. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we, we're still fighting back from the British stole trillions of dollars mm. from us. We're still fighting back from that. Um, and it's similar in our 
in our community in even in India and here where white colonialism is looked as you know the peak or that's mm. speaking English being having fairer skin fairer skin um, yeah. going to Starbucks going to all these like American or like these British places is looked high upon compared yeah. to eating your cultural fruits or doing your dances so it's, I think it's a very very common point where I guess the generations yeah. that have lived through, they because they've been colonized by these communities they're looked as that as a higher good as the standard of yeah. like this is where I need to reach and that's been passed on where in india if you speak english you're known as educated you're smart you're oh. you're the new breed if you if you can't speak english you, your your employability goes down yeah. people don't see you as educated um they don't see all those things because you simply can't speak english or if you have darker skin yeah same thing where if you're fairer you know you look more brighter you're an innocent human being you're um you're more likely to do mm. the right thing compared to if you're darker skinned no 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 you, you might be looked as you know, there's a bias of yeah. like, oh, you might do the wrong thing. Right. And it's the same thing happens with these products where you can bleach your face to make your skin whiter. All right, fair and <laughs> shout out fair and lovely to hate you. <laughs> so that's what it's called um, for men and women where you can put layers and layers yeah. of bleach and then you get whiter skin, yeah. obviously, which is not healthy and we don't oh, promote yeah. that. But that point of how now we grew, moved to this country, it's very similar principles apply yeah. where our family's like, Oh, you know, this is the standard. We're living in it. Let's let's reach it. Let's speak English. Let's yeah. do all these mm. other things. Let's assimilate. Yeah, you're right. And I guess my uncle, my uncles who raised their kids were like, made conscious decisions to not speak Vietnamese at home. And now their children can't communicate with their grandparents. And I find that just so sad. But it was their decision to say, hey, We'll give our kids the upper hand and we'll teach them mm. Western manners, for example, and like they can speak English very well, like every other kid who grows up and goes to school here, but they can't speak Vietnamese or, or communicate with the grandparents, which yeah. is a bit sad. And, and I could agree to, yeah, that assimilation point. Hey, let's strip our own culture back so mm. that we can adapt, so that we can not really adapt, but be one of the others right and it's not really integration but it's that assimilation point which which is sad in the day and i hope that we could i guess reclaim our our cultures and and be loud and proud about yeah. where our family has yeah. come from and and really yeah really celebrate that i'm really enjoying this conversation because I, I i don't really like talk about like multicultural stuff so it's like for me i'm kind of like learning and hearing all your perspectives so i'm just amazed right and i think that goes back to a point that the work we're interesting an interesting shift in community where diversity is celebrated we're mm. talking a bit more about representation yeah. and now i think we're in a very interesting point where our generation what we pass on to them i mean to our future generation to our kids that's going to be so valuable if we teach them because we don't know maybe our partners can be different cultures but we still need to instill our cultural yeah. values whether that's our language whether it's the food yeah. that we eat um, the views that we have on the world, we mm. want because eventually, a couple generations down, they're just going to be Aussie, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we see that with previous cultures. I've studied this, and similar to other cultures that came here 50, 70 years ago, that they've, you know, eventually assimilated. Um, there's some cultures that live, thrive. Um, there's certain cultures who just assimilate to um, the Australian way. And that's because, you know, 70 years ago, they were being picked on. Right now, we're colored. I uh, know 70 years ago, like Italians and Greeks are being picked on for being mm, different, right? Yeah. Now we don't see them as diverse, <laughs> uh, whereas we're the new diversity um, yeah. 
you know, the diverse people of this country. And it's interesting that now Indians aren't looked as too, because that generation, that wave is gone, whereas the new communities that are coming are more picked on or more backed on. Because Indians have been here for many, like 20, 30 years now. Um, I've been here myself for 17 years now. And so it's like that that arc has passed where people have accepted, all right, Indians going to be here. We're just going to move on with them. But I find it very interesting and I keep on exploring this issue myself and I would love your perspectives on this. What are we going to pass on or what are you going to pass on to your, your you know, your future generations if you're planning to have kids? Mm. Um, is that cultural thing still going to be there? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's something we talk about like with my partner is we always have to remember where our roots are from, right? Mm. And we want to bring that with our, our children and like teaching them both Chinese, Malay, and Tagalog. And so there's like a lot of culture there. Um, yeah, I think something that's something I really want to keep, right, in, in our family. For me, it's food. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Look, I'm, Vietnamese cuisine is, is incredible. And the, the diversity between just what is available and and I guess it's a trained palate that I've grown up in, in eating Vietnamese food. And you go out to speak to people uh, in society and they're like, oh, Vietnamese food's the best. You're so lucky and, and all that. Yes, it's true. I am blessed. <laughs> but the other thing is also different ways of celebration as well. So Vietnamese New Year, mm. that has been one of the highlights of the year for my extended family where we all get together, we eat good food, but we also like play games and give each other, well, the adults give the young people some lucky money. So that's always a good thing, getting some cash. <laughs> and that's our form of Christmas, you know? Yeah. Because I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm, I'm a Hindu or, you know, that's what my family values. We never celebrated Easter or Christmas. So that was a very awkward time. But Diwali, you know, that's like, mm. oh, that's, a, that's a thing, you know, that's like where people dress up, give presents, give um, how food, play games. And mm. so th that's what, sorry, keep on calling. Right. Like yeah, so, firecrackers, yeah. we do that too. You know? yeah. And that's what our form of that big celebration, that yearly, you know, that big thing that gets everyone together. Mm. Whereas my identification to Christmas isn't as strong. Like I do it because I love the holidays, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, it's Christmas. Yeah. Just another day. Yeah. I guess as humans, that, that's what we do. We celebrate, mm. right? And we all have different things in our calendar, but we could always share practices and, what you mentioned before about in a couple of generations we're all going to be Aussie or, or just kind of blend into the one. I think that's the way we're moving, right? We're all blending into this one race in the world. <laughs> you think There'll be pockets of uh, pockets of cultures, but like the general big wave or movement or trend is that of globalization and, and mixing between countries and races and. We're all kind of blending in to be one in a couple of thousand years, maybe. <laughs> if we survive that long, <laughs> unless an asteroid comes. Uh, or we yeah. nuke ourselves. <laughs> Don't worry, Elon Musk will save us. <laughs> um, we'll set up a multicultural community on, on the moon or the Mars. <laughs> well, isn't that what he's doing? Just like having as many babies as it can? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. What's Maybe he on at the moment? I don't know. <laughs> is it? Is it he launching a perfume? I swear, I saw that. Shout out, Elon Musk. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you do a lot of work, right? Mm. And 
I remember there was a time where we were both talking about conscious rest and and burnout as well because, look, we've all experienced that when you've got life going on but you're working on projects that you want to push and you want to create as well. Like, do you, Can you talk about your burnout experiences with us? Yeah. Um, so been th- still go- I feel like I'm still going through that burnout phase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I think 2020, you know, the COVID phase, mm. a lot of us just had free time. I guess we didn't have that break that we wanted. Yes, we were staying at home. We weren't doing as much, but mentally we weren't taking a break. We weren't disconnecting from the world. We were watching the news every day, watching yeah. this every day. So our minds were still getting somewhat stimulated. We haven't had, all right, I want a holiday now. I want a break, you know? And that's what I've been wanting for a long time, which I'll have at the end of the year after the election. I'll be going overseas, blessed. Where are you going? Uh, back to India, back to my home roots. Going to see the family after five years. Wow. Gonna have a lot of food, enjoy. So looking looking forward to that. Mm. But I think we a lot of us didn't take breaks in my personal experience. Because I dropped out of university and my I almost put my validation and and this is you might I would love to hear your perspective. A lot of children are migrants or migrants themselves or refugees. They put their value on the work that they do or their output rather than yeah. oh I'm enough. You know, maybe because we don't place we don't call this place home. We we wonder do, 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 do to, sh- to show to our culture, to show yeah. to our, our family and friends that, look, this is what, this is what I'm worth rather than just being, oh, I'm chilling at my home, I'm doing my own thing. Um, and so I put my value or my self-worth in the output and it's just got too much. Like I was, you know, I was loving public speaking, loving doing this, um, you know, doing all these cool things that were coming into my inbox. I'm like, yo, this opportunity, this, 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 this. But then my mental health wasn't the best because yeah going through a tough time with relationships plus COVID, which I felt like was never a big thing, but it was, you know, it was dragging on. It was that bit of weight um, every, every single day. So I was just eventually got to the point where I just started saying no, like I was burnt out, dead tired every single day. Right. Like work from nine to like 10 o'clock, checking my emails, 11 o'clock, checking my emails. Mm. And it just wasn't healthy. And it got to the point where I was doing things because I was on my calendar. Right. Like I would be going to social events. I'll be go doing like interview or public speaking because it's it's on my calendar rather than I'm excited for it or I'm looking forward to it. It was something like, all right, got to get this out of the way um, so I can go home or go somewhere else. Mm, you let the co- calendar control you as opposed to you control the calendar. 100%. And so that's where the conscious rest comes in where I'm like right now I'm being actively, I'm still learning. I'm actively blocking out time to mm. do nothing. Yeah. Like not put anything in my calendar. I would say no to people. I've a, a bit of an example. I've lots of work with my personal, like the election work. I've said no to three gigs, which is amazing opportunities. But I know if I do them, I'm, I would, I can do them. Like, you know, I'll sacrifice a lot of sleep, a lot of like time traveling here and there. But I know I need that, the rest for me to be mentally good mm. because I'm not putting myself worth in my output now. It's more internally like I know who I am. My parents know who I am. I'm more confident in myself to be like, all right, I can take a break for maybe six months, a year, two years. Mm. It's not going to go away. I still have, I'm 20, 22, 23. I have so much time left in my life. You know, I have, I have plenty of time to, to do what I want to do in the future. Yeah. And so part of that is being that conscious rest. I would literally put in my calendar rest because otherwise I'm, I'm just going to constantly do something else or look at my emails or call email someone or mm. do this, do this. But I'm like, all right, I need to do nothing. Sit at home, sit with family, 
watch TV, watch reality TV, <laughs> go for a walk. Yeah, yeah. Um, to look to look after. Yeah, to look after the myself. Mental. Yeah, burnout's it's real. It is yeah. real, not just from work, but from just life in general. Like we've had floods, we've had fires, mm. we've had. It's just a, it's a lot to like <laughs> debrief. Yeah. I think as a, as an individual. Yeah. Unless you stop and like, all right, let me flush out. Let me flush out of my system. And this is incredible, right? Kano's 22 and I didn't learn this lesson until recently that you have to say no because you can say, and, and maybe you've had so many opportunities that, that you could say yes, 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 but maybe you've, you've felt and you've reached that capacity and you've felt that red line and, and you've maybe danced that red line for, for enough time where you're like, no, this is enough, right? And I guess different circumstances, different upbringings, but different stages of life as well. I haven't had to say no until really recently. And even then on, on Wednesday, I have to say no because I find myself triple booked. <laughs> 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 but it is saying no and it's important to protect your time as well. And yeah, we're really, I guess I'm recovering from burnout at the moment. But, yeah. but Jasper, how's your experience has been in the last few months? I think it's, I'm still trying to work things out just trying to figure things out right i think i'm in that constant state right now of trying to understand what is really important and where i really want to go in life mm. and something that i'm learning from you is trying to create alignment in all things that i'm doing right and really enjoying the whole process of living because the hustle culture can get really toxic and when you're hustling 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 like you will burn out, right? And mm. like we talked about, we are in the a, a brand that cares about wellness and health. So we have to be the examples of that. Um, and yeah, I think it, it takes a lot of like fidgeting and experimenting with what works, what doesn't work. And sometimes I find myself saying, saying like, oh man, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. And it's like full of regret. But then I just had to take a moment and be like, hey, why am I feeling this feeling? Why am I in a rush to get anywhere? And it's just really slowing down, right? Just really slowing down and understanding like, hey, why am I rushing, right? What's the rush? What's the rush for, right? If I had a plan, which I, ha I have, like I understand that I have a plan X amount of time, why am I trying to rush to get there when mm. I'm just at the, at the very beginning? And that's something I'm trying to remind myself always, like, Dude, you've got a 10-year plan. You're only in your second year. Why are you rushing to get to the 10 years? And it's just being not patient because I don't want to be passive about it, mm. but just understanding like as long as I can do one piece of work that's going to get me forward, moving forward today, I've done my, my job, right? It's that 1% better every day. So I was, that question I asked myself is like, what can I do today that's going to help me get forward to where I want to go? And if I can achieve something where it's doing a snippet, so I'm, I feel like I'm doing the work, but not overthinking the actions that I'm doing, I'm okay. I'm just giving myself that grace, like, dude, you're still recovering from burnout. Like, hey, take it easy, but do something still. Like, take action on it. So that's where I am. Like, not taking, just understanding what I need to go mm. and is it going to take me to where I want to go. So. It's interesting because in some parts I 
kind of disagree mm. because I tried to take my foot off the pedal recently, yeah. but I was still doing. Yeah. And I found that doing keeps you active in the mind and you're still thinking about it. And mm. look, I was lucky to go away recently and, and went to a music festival and, and really let go. Yeah. And that reminded me like, holy shit, I was so burnt out. <laughs> and and the consequences were that my relationship suffered because mm. when I was around other people, I was feeling sad for myself about how tired I was, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and look, a suggestion would be to maybe oh, figure out, if possible, how could you remove yourself entirely mm. as well? But also, yeah, the key piece on alignment yeah. as well and, and what we spoke about. Because, look, when I worked my past job at a startup, I found that, look, manipulating people to spend money online was not aligned to the work that we're doing to yeah. have purposeful conversations and uncovering amazing stories from from people like yourself, right? And also with the meditation and the community work that I do, it was like on the left-hand side where mm. all of my energy wanted to be on the right-hand side. So I quit that job found another one and now I'm full guns blazing into one direction. So that's what yeah. I guess my learnings came from that and, and I've shared that with Jasper yeah. as well. But looking at yourself, Kana, are you would you say you're in an alignment in your purpose, your passions and, and what you want to do and achieve? Yeah, I think I'm blessed that I've had a, in 2018 when I dropped out of university, I've, I've tasted a lot of things. I did bunch of random shit to figure out what I want. Oh, sorry, can I swear? Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did a lot, lot of random shit to figure out what I what I want to do in life. Um, and I feel like I found my purpose in helping out people, being um, committed to, to multicultural people, young people. Mm. And I think I, I really I am a, I'm a community person. I love being around people, helping people, being, being there for people. Um, and I think a lot of my work re- resonates with that. But I think also take i've learned that for myself i need to take a gap i need to my learning has been i'm a i'm not a marathon person i'm a sprint person mm. so i can't do them i can't like you know and i think that's just we're just human different yeah. human beings i can't do True. one thing every single day yeah slowly i'll get there i need to do a sprint break sprint and a break yeah. i've realized that because i've been marathoning for the past three years <laughs> and it's yeah. just burning me out now so i think so when i go on this break no work at all. No emails, no nothing. I'm completely disconnected because I need that break before mm-hmm. I come back and sprint again for a short while. And I'm going to break early than I, than I need to. Yeah. So I can re- come back, sprint again, come back, sprint again. And I think that's just the way that I work is like when I'm working, I'm in go mode. I need go, 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 go. Mm. Whereas I, can't, I feel like if I'm doing one thing at a time, I'll keep on thinking, crap, I can do more. I can do more. I can yeah. do this. And I need that. I think I figured out my working style is to just do a bunch of things and take a break, go mm. from there. Yeah, very wise. Very wise, isn't it? Yeah. I guess like everyone has their own way of like processes of how they do work, right? One thing might work for you. Other things might work, not work for someone else, but it's just finding and taking bits from everyone's learnings and making it to your own thing. So I guess that's what I've learned. Like if you hear in different people's processes of life, like you'll mm. hear like high performances, like, David Goggins does like the hardest shit every day. <laughs> yeah. I can't do that, right? That's nice. not gonna work for me. I tried it, but it didn't work. Then you have other people who like do like like you. You you take your sprints and then you take a break. And then you have people who've just been constantly just running a marathon, right? 
but it's what we can the beauty of it is like we can learn of each other and make our own processes that work for us yeah. now i want to go back on your point around alignment mm -hmm. um because I feel like I've been blessed that I found somewhat some form of my alignment early. And, you know, I'm 22, 23, so my opinions might change in five years, right? I could have a totally different alignment. Yeah. Um, but I think it's figuring out what that is. And if you don't know, like, I'm so blessed in 2018, I did a bunch of random shit, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing, which I've gotten from your, you, what you just said, is to say no to things that don't align with you, mm -hmm. like working that job or for mm -hmm. me going to university, right? Yeah. It's, it's so hard because it's risky, right? Living a job that's, decently well-paying doing something that's gonna people tell you don't drop out of university university your parents tell you don't drop out of university mm. but doing taking that that leap of faith that mm. this doesn't align with me i need you know i need to do it for myself so yeah. i can go on to the greater good which is hard to do yeah to say no to things is incredibly hard right it's amazing it's so hard yeah. but you got to think i think my advice and i would love to hear your advice is to think long term is is this going to this might be make me happy in the short term, but long term is this gonna is this gonna make me happy? Right. Is this what I want to do? Yeah. And I think that usually for me gives me an answer of do I want to say no to this, cut it out of my life, or want to invest my time and energy into? But I'd love to know what made you. I think you sort of it didn't align with you, but how did you want to figure out that it didn't align with you? And also, how did you find your alignment? Because I feel like it's a question that a lot of people have: is like, what is my calling? What is what is my alignment? Yeah. And like yourself, I guess it's by doing a lot of things at a young age where you figure out, oh, yeah. I like doing this. Oh, wait, no, I don't like doing this. This sucks. But for me, joining a startup was like, all right, I'm going to get rich. I'm going <laughs> to join up for a rocket ship and uh, get some equity and, and make some big bucks when they sell, right? Yeah. But another concept that, that they don't tell you is one of golden handcuffs. So... If you work for a high-flying tech company and you've got some equity, they handcuff you because you have to work there for X amount of years until they're able to sell and, and do yeah. a liquidity event, right? So you're stuck in there. So equity is great, but you get stuck in and you're trapped, hence the golden handcuffs. And so for me, I, I, I looked at the people around me. I looked at my manager and then the founder and I was like, do these people inspire me? Do they live the life that I want to live? And that question was no. I respect them immensely, right? But their style of work didn't align with what I wanted to do, which was more impact in the community. I wanted to meet a lot of diverse people and just to hear their stories, really. But I was communicating with e-commerce managers who want to push their sales further. Yeah. Not really in alignment, right? And so it's a hard call and you sit on it and you brew with it for, for days, months, longer for some people as well. And I just said, look, I can't do this anymore. And then other things started working out. So grateful that I made hard decisions as well. And, and, and like yourself, right? Grateful that you've made those hard decisions to, to kind of move on yourself how did you i think you you were talking about earlier you're a creative yeah how did you get to that alignment i guess um well i'm still trying to figure out like in my day-to-day -day how to find that alignment right or right 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 now my day job is warehousing it's not helping me get to where i want to go right gives me money but that's about it 
And I think we're in a direction where we want to master our own craft and also help others in mastering their own craft through these conversations, right? Like what can we learn from other people that can potentially help others? So I guess that's why in a, I'm in the process of trying to find a new, new workplace that can help me upskill me and use my, my creative skills and creative muscles right in my day to day, but still give me the, the freedom to work on this, what we're doing here. Um, but since I am still doing that day to day and working in business, like I have to find that time, right? I have to find time to still work, still make time for whatever we do here mm. and spend time with family and my partner. Because for me right now, I, I had five values that are important to me. That's my, my partner, my business, my investments, my family, and my friends. Those are the five things that I really want to focus on. And top priority, obviously, is my partner and then business. So I'm doing my best to spend time here as much as I can. But it can be difficult because my partner is the number one thing for me to create those time blocks for my business. Because I want to spend as much time with her as I can, right? And I want to make have valuable and quality time with, with her because that's like my love language, quality time. Um, I'm in the process of like really... Right, now I need to work, right? Because living by ourselves, like chores and cooking dinner can be a distraction to that, mm. to, to what you're doing. And that's something I had to figure out. Um, and that's what I'm kind of really adjusting to, right? Because the past, only recently that I moved out, the past two years of, almost three years of doing our business, I was living at home. So I had the freedom to do as much as I want mm. on our business. Yeah. Now it's just trying to find the time to really put time blocks on those things that are important to me. Yeah. And sometimes it's like taking away, like going to the gym or, or can I make my workouts shorter so that I have more time to do what I'm doing as well. So it's really just, I'm in a process now of just really experimenting on what works and I'm finding what works now, like slowly. So I'm still finding that alignment. I'm not there yet, but I'm working towards that, that goal. Yeah, they don't tell you how much the chores add up yeah. when, you, when you move out and, and things like that. Yeah. It's all on you, right? It's all on us. But yeah, it's all about finding pockets of time, mm. but being efficient with it. So yeah. like meal prepping, for instance, or what I do is I love to ride my bike to work. Mm. So it's like a two birds, one stone. I get to spend time in nature and I get exercise yeah, at the yeah. same time yeah. as well. And it's, oh. it's so good. It's oh. so good. But just quickly switching gears and, and before we wrap up, I want to talk about Vipassana meditation because you said you've done two sessions or two 10-day retreats wow. as well. Do you want to tell me about your experiences, um, the first and second one, and I guess yeah. how you use those learnings and go through life with them? So if you haven't heard of Vipassana, it's this meditation that's come from, I guess, from India, a bit more from um, the Buddhism culture where you go and sit in a center they're all across the country if you're interested uh, all across the world as well you go and sit mm. for 10 days um and you meditate in complete silence so you wake up um normally it's i think 4 30 yeah you, oh you wake up for 4 30 to 6 30 meditation 6 30 to i think 8 is breakfast i know the times very well <laughs> you'll meditate for i think roughly 14 to 15 yeah. hours of wow. your day on top of sleep plus your normal you know chores that you do or like yeah. eating or going to the bathroom so it's a long long day um 
and you do it in complete silence. You don't talk to anyone. There's no writing. There's no reading. Um, you're not allowed to obviously go on your phone. Yeah. Um, no watching TV. Um, no listening to music. No working out. You can go for a walk, but there's no like physically working out or yoga or anything like that. That and the way the way I thought of it, I read, I came across because one of my friends recommended it to me. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, this this seems quite cool. It seems a challenge, um, but. It seems pretty cool. And I like the reason, the main reason I did it was because I want to challenge myself. I love pushing myself out of my comfort zone to do things which I, I know I, people would say I can't do, but I want to do it. So like going in the 10 day meditation retreat, uh, I was looking at doing a marathon this year, but I was just too burnt out to do one. I want to do one next year. I'm not physically that fit, but I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I want to do it because if people can say, no, I'll, I want to prove myself that I want to do it. So that's, the main reason I went to it, I'm like, all right, I don't know what this is. We'll figure it out. And I, I realized that when you're sitting in silence, when you're meditating, when you're looking within or looking external, depending on your experience, mm-hmm. um, you you start to realize a lot of things pop up, and that's the whole thing. You you meditate for two three hour blocks, you sit there with your thoughts, but you don't react to them. You don't give it a positive or a negative feeling. Yeah. And eventually, the more times you sit with it. You you decompose like you know you look into it deeply. You look at all, all these other facets, and you're like, all right, I understand what this is. But you because you're not reacting to it, yeah. you're not assigning a feeling to it, or you're not assigning that this is my thing. You know, you let it pass, you let it pass, you let it pass, and eventually, you learn to deal with it, and it passes. And that's what and that's the, the that's the thing that it taught me is that time heals everything. I think for me that was the biggest takeaway that. Eventually, things will work out, you know, and it's, uh, and it's, uh, which means impermanence, right? Things, no matter how bad they look, they will pass away. Right. It's just, we need to stick through the hard times, face a hat on. Um, and that's what Vipassana is, it teaches you from my personal experience is that you have no other forms of escapism. You're not, you can't go talk to a friend. You can't go write. You can't go watch TV. You can't go exercise it out. Whatever it is you're going through, what's you have to do it in meditation. You have yeah. to sit there and think, think about it, right? Deal with it. Yeah. You know, you, you try your hardest not to think about it, but because it, it's so, it's something that's coming up, you think about it, but you're learning to distance yourself away from right. it or you're not reacting to it. Um, and so that's the biggest thing it taught me is that all these feelings, and that's where I had my career realization is that my self-worth is not on the output. My self-worth, self-worth is who and who I am, my values, the way that I live by, you know, the work, the few... Um, the field that I'm working in—that is my worth, not a, not even all these external things that I'm doing. And that was my big realizations from the first time I did with Barcelona, and then second time, I'm like, yo, that was dope. Because <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back again, yeah, yeah. Um, and I love the second time I went as well. So, what about your experience? For me, it was escaping from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. It was sitting still and really accepting my thoughts, my feelings as they came up. And as you were saying, reacting, or sorry, not reacting, but being curious at the same time, no judgment and being curious. And that was a really beautiful experience. And I came out feeling so connected and, and I, and I wanted to share it right away. So I called you boys <laughs> up and was like, hey, let's talk about this on the body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and ever since then, I could always find stillness. And it's a bit easier for me. And meditation is a muscle. 
that you you have to train. And a lot of the times when you talk about meditation, people are like, oh, I can never do that. I'm not the type of person who meditates or I'm not the person who, my mind, I have too many thoughts. But it is, and, and when you sit in the 14 hours, thoughts come up constantly. And it's after a while of training it that you find certain stillnesses or you find a balance. And it's over time after training that as well. And I felt so clear coming out of it. And I guess everybody comes out with the intention of, all right, I want to continue the practice. <laughs> I'm going to meditate for one hour, maybe. Morning and night. Morning and night. <laughs> they recommend two hours. Yeah. So I did that for two weeks and, and then you start work again. And then emails come in and then text messages and calls and you you lose it because of we talk about alignment. It's not aligned to the life that we live right now. We get pings on our phone that triggers us to check notifications and, and things like that. But we're not encouraged to sit in stillness at all unless you're a monk, right? We're not really encouraged to do this. And it's a bit of a shame. And, and, and part of the work that I'm doing here is to share these concepts of, of mindfulness and meditation with others as well, because it's such an incredible tool to help you sit at ease. That's how I've found it. And it's funny that coming out of a 10 day silent meditation, I started to burn myself. <laughs> right. But now I'm equipped with the tools to say, hang on a second. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm feeling. Mm. And and not reacting to it. And, and and just finding the practices, which is sitting, or it could be morphed into other ways of mindfulness, which is walking without headphones or music. Mm. Right. And I see people walking their dogs and they're just like face <laughs> in the phone with no sense of what the hell's going on because they're so absorbed in it. And I find that a bit sad. And sometimes I want to be like, yo, look, you're walking out with your dog. It's a beautiful day outside. Look around. Mm. But it's, it's yeah, I wonder maybe I should do that. <laughs> Some point be like, yo, dude, stop looking at your phone. But Is there yeah. anything you guys would recommend for anyone who wants to get to that point of having the courage to do that? Like, is there a process that people should go through like maybe doing 10 minute meditations and slowly building up to one hour or however long my advice would be to seek mindfulness in ways in which you already and can already find mm. flow it doesn't have to be a formal sit down meditation turn off everything and say om and things like that <laughs> but it's for yourself as yep. a designer, it could be sketching and drawing and, and finding moments out of your day. For others, it could be running and finding flow through that mechanism. Or it could be uh, with connection in, in many different ways. What are your thoughts? I completely agree. I think I've been exploring this concept and that's where I realized I'm doing things because it's on my calendar. Yeah. And I think going back to those points where finding things day-to-day -day things where you can be more mindful, whether that's going for a walk, whether that's playing sports, because in every day we're either thinking, this is a concept that they share, is you're either thinking of the past or the future. You're not never thinking of, all right, I'm talking at the moment, 
I can feel this on my skin. I can feel the tightness on my <laughs> yeah, watch. Yeah. I can hear this volume coming in. Yeah. So sometimes you just need to, that, that is mindful, mindfulness for me is just being in the present. Right. And I think sports is a great way where you, when you're playing sports, you're thinking, all right, where am I going to cook the ball? Where am I running? You're not yeah. thinking of mm, what happened last week yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah. crap, I'm going to this tough time in a relationship. Yeah. Same thing with the gym. It's very mindfulness. You're focusing on your body. You're focusing on the feeling. So I think find that mindfulness in day-to-day activities. And, you know, when you go for a walk, feel the birds going, feel these things going. If, even if it's a car going, just, oh, there's a car going past. Yeah. Just be in the present rather than thinking of, of the future or, you know, of, of the past. Even when you're conversing with your friends, you're usually talking about before and after. You're yeah. not, never talking mm. about the present. Yeah. So I think find that, find that thing that makes you feel present in things, right? right? Whether that's balancing, whether that's doing whatever it is. With, I think you said sketching, great example, where you're drawing things, you're coloring. You're not thinking of anything else. You might be for therapeutic purposes, but ideally get to that level where you're just doing the activity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going on with Vipassana, just do it, I think. I highly recommend it. I look, I'd never meditated in my life before that day. <laughs> um, interested in it, but I'd never done it. But when you put in that situation, I think you realize how strong you are, or you realize that I can do things that people told me that I can't do, or things that I believed I can't do. When you put in, push yourself in that situation, because you're always going to say, 10 days, brother, where am I going to find the time? Yeah. How can I sit for one hour, let alone yeah. 14 hours of the day? But sometimes you do push yourself in, and I think, you know. You figure out how to do it. Yeah. Obviously, if you're if you're comfortable to do it as well. Of course. Sure. What about you, Jasper? Have we convinced you to go? On this ten day meditation <laughs> I think you had retreat. The, initially, when Lim had this conversation with us, I was like, "Oh, damn! I really want to try this." But I think I haven't I haven't really practiced any t- form of meditation for a while. I'll do it like here and there, like maybe try the current silence, just let my thoughts go through, and just like talk mm. to myself. Yeah. Or if I'm at home, just chuck some headphones on and listen to like a guided meditation. And like what you said, it doesn't have to be a formal sit, right? It just be like, be mindful of the actions that you're doing. Even when I'm at the gym, like the movement I'm doing, like what's, what muscles am I really moving in this moment? Where, where do I feel the, the burn or whatever? Um, see, with the sketching one, I feel like my, I've dropped out of it for so long that I'm still working back to it now. Um, but where I'm really finding that flow of work is making the podcast snippets mm. and I'm really enjoying it. And it just feels so good to be able to piece these videos together and create into a short, like say like we get like two minutes of footage and create them to like 55 second snippet. It feels good when it's accomplished and like, I, I can't wait to put it out there in the world. So that's where my creative abilities right now is where I'm finding flows in the, the videography stuff. Mm. Um, but I'm really working towards, the sketching and stuff as well, like whether it's doing five minutes, just a line, where does that line take me, right? But sometimes it's so hard, like I'm finding it so difficult right now, whereas in the past where I could just sketch and I'll just flow for like an hour or two. Um, yeah, it's just, like you said, being present in what you're doing with every action that you're doing. I found yesterday, so I was creating a video as well, but I kept, there was this sensation in me and an urge to check my phone and it always is right. It's because it's trained us to check it and we get a little bit of dopamine that rewards us at the same time. And we can't stay too far away from it as well. And just, I had to fight the urge. I had to train the muscle is like, all right, 
I set out this task. I wanted to tell a story in this video format. And, and when I sat through it and I did it, I was incredibly proud of the work that I did. And it's that, what is it, what is it called? Delayed gratification. gratification. Yeah. The delayed gratification feels so much better than a cheap hit as well. It's much more substantial and you work and you earn it. You really earn it. And I guess meditation can help you find that practice to yeah delay quick gratification as well. And I think if you're if you're thinking about going, I think it's another great tool to have on your side. Yeah. Like I think working out or meditating is all these tools or creative outlets. These are all tools that we can utilize in our day to day lives. And I think it's just figuring out what is this tool for me that's going to help me my self care or help me my day to day life. Whether that's working out. All right, you gave it a shot. Maybe it's not for you. Fair enough. You can do look at another outlet. Is meditation my thing? So I think that's the way I think about. It. I'm adding all these assets or these avenues for me to potentially utilize yeah. obviously on top of friendships relationships all these little things i can you know pick and choose if i when i want to go into them if i need to just breathe if i just need to be by myself meditation could be could be that outlet if i just need to move around a little bit working out or going for a walk is that outlet for me so i think these little these experiences which you're like oh i would never do that in my life yeah it's just these things that you can add on right. to your to your repertoire of yeah right yeah. you know that's that's why I want to do marathon running next year. It's like <laughs> I just want to see how running is like. I've never yeah. run more than like two k's in my life. Oh man, <laughs> let's go for a run. <laughs> I'm like, let's see. Maybe running could be my calling. Yeah, like you know, and we'll figure that out next year if I do it. Exactly, but you'll find out in the doing, right? Like, yeah. you have to do it first to find out if it's really for you. Good place to end it. End it right. and ask three questions. You want to end it? I don't know what's coming. Ah, three questions. (laughs) Hot seat. Hot seat. What are you grateful for? Uh, My family, my parents, especially. Am I I supposed to give deep answers or is it hot fire? It can be. It can be as long as you want or how how sure you want. You're free to answer the questions as as you like. Alrighty. Oh, number one is my family for giving me a better opportunity in life. I wouldn't have anything that I have without without them. So it starts on that. What have you realized? Um, I think it's been the basis of these conversations is that I'm so much more than the work that I do or mm-hmm. the things that I do. I'm, myself is enough. Uh, me existing, me breathing, me eating, mm-hmm. me talking to people is more than enough. I don't have to be someone else or I don't have to have the social cred for me to be valuable. Last question. What is a question you ask yourself? It, oof, is do I want to do this and do I love doing this? Amazing. Yeah, that's a really good one. I don't think we have heard that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's because I'm such. A, I feel like at my age, I'm still trying to figure out my career, mm, and you know, it's a thing yeah. that I'll keep on answering until I'm like 50, 60. Yeah. Um, and I'm a sprints person, right? Yeah. I like to do something because I love it, and then maybe I get sick of it, I get tired of it, yeah. and so I, want, I need to take a break. And then, okay, what is this next sprint that I want to do? What is this next thing that I want to do in my life? And that's that's why I keep on asking these questions. Like I've done this for so many years. Do I love doing it? Yeah. And do I still want to do this? Yeah. If it's not, I need to move on to the next thing. Definitely. It's, what's that next sprint for me? And, it'll, oh, you know, the overarching will be similar, mm. but what's what's the next thing I need to do? Damn. You have an incredible mindset, man. Seriously. Youth. So where can people find you? 
Yeah, here's a cheeky plug. Uh, <laughs> feel free to follow me on Instagram, Connor Raju, or I'm very chill. You can um, email me as well, K-A-N-O-R-A-V-A-L-J-I at hotmail.com. I'm very, very, oh, crap, I'll put that on record. That's <laughs> no, fine. You can, I'm very relaxed. You can message me anytime that you want. Um, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at replies. So Snapchat, Facebook, everything I want. To <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Akana. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. And nice to meet you, brother. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been great to spend, I don't know, an hour and a bit to yeah. talk to you guys, realizing more about my life. And I'm ex- I love what you're doing with, uh, with the brand and with the podcast. I think it's genuinely good, genuinely good stuff that needs to be out there. Thanks Thank so you. Thank really you for being a part it. of it. Awesome. We hope you found value in this podcast. Always stay safe and always choose to get up. Peace. Peace. Okay. <laughs>